This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. Welcome, everyone. Thank you all for joining. Thank you all for listening. Thank you for all watching. Oh, whatever it is that you're doing. Thank you for playing this as background music to, uh, you know, drown out those babies crying. Whatever it is that you're doing now. Tonight we are learning... Le'ila Nishmas, Rav Shmayao Yosef Chaim ben Yaakov Yisrael, and Rav Zechar Yishem ben Rav Yitzchak, as well as Chaim Yehuda ben, no, I'm sorry, as well as Avram ben Chaim Yehuda, and to Yechaskel ben Abraham. Okay, so this is part three of the gratitude uh, series, and you know, it's funny because the gratitude class originally was supposed to be a one-class thing, but the more, you know, it's very interesting, so the more that I break it up, meaning that I don't just rush through it, the more I want to add to it. So this is becoming a mini-series in itself, um, because if I'm, if I have a class, even though I have the class prepared, and let's say I didn't finish it in, in, in class part one, but, and I have enough for, to, you know, to, that I want to speak about for another full hour, I still like to do a little bit more learning and research and, and, and understanding on it, and that usually ends up building the series longer and longer, which is very good because, uh, you know, Hakarsito is really something that we should speak about for a, um, you know, not not just a short period, but really there's there's a lot to speak about, and it's extremely extremely important. So this is this is a uh, um, going longer than I initially planned, but I think it is uh, for the for the great greater good of our growth. So what I really want to focus about today in, in today's class, the, really the truth is there's like one point that I want to speak about. And it's like this one point I could probably give it to you in like a second, but you'll soon see why it, it's going to be coded or, or layered in this, in this whole class. And, and the purpose of this class, like if I were to, I, we did it appreciating life to, to name it that, but another name would be, and maybe I should do this name when I upload it, I don't know, is thanking Hashem when you stub your toe. Like this, that is like the goal, the focus of, and, and you'll soon see why. So, you know, when, when we're dealing, dealing with Hakar Satop, when you're dealing with gratitude, we tend to be appreciative for the big things, uh, the, the large things in life, and we tend to forget the smaller things. So, if someone opens a door for you versus someone gives you a kidney, there is, you know, obviously there's a balance of how much you should be, uh, you know, grateful for and thankful for. So, of course, everybody knows to be grateful for the big things. At least everybody should know to be grateful for the big things. But people tend to forget the smaller things in life, to what to be uh, grateful for and have a car to tell for. And obviously, the truth of the matter is, it's it's very you know uh, um, you know logical that you're more the the greater the sacrifice or the greater the effect on your life, the more gratitude you would have, the more significant of a change that this other person uh, did on you should create more gratitude. But that's when you're thinking of gratitude between me and the other person, meaning that this other person. Uh, whether this other person is a human or whether you're dealing between you and HaKadosh Baruch Hu and you and God, you're thinking that, okay, so, so HaKadosh Baruch Hu did X, Y, and Z, or this person did X, Y, and Z, so the gratitude I have is to this person for what he did, and what I'm grateful for is for, I have to say thank you to the person, or or whatever it is that you, sh- you know, send the fruit basket, or whatever, you know, so show some sort of a car, some sort of gratitude towards the other person when you're thinking that it's for, well, kind of for the other person, not like fully, and we'll, we'll explain it. So there is different levels, a different 
areas of focus where you have in the mitzvot or in the vera. So you have something that's called ben adam l'makom, then you have something called ben adam l'chavero, and then you have something called ben adam l'atzma. And we'll explain each one. So ben adam l'makom is 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 something between you and God. It's it's between you and Hakadosh Baruch So in the in the realm of gratitude, and something very interesting, not everything falls into all three realms. Gratitude, Akarasato, falls into all of these three realms. So you have Ben Adam Lamakum between you and Akadish Brachu, between you and God. So these are things are simple as being a carbon toda, for example, or even simpler, making a bracha, saying, you know, saying a blessing for something that you're about to drink, you're about to eat. Yeah, after you go to the bathroom, you're saying, Thank you, Takadish Brachu. That's between you and God. Then there's something Ben Adam Lechavera, between you and your friend. So the simplest simplest understanding is your friend does your favorite you simply say thank you so some sort of karsatov a little bit more of a deeper understanding of a little bit more of a, a source in the torah is kibbutz aim kibbutz aim is the the one of the essence is is gratitude is a karsatov so that's where you have ben adam chaver these things we're very well aware of and we know we have to be grateful to god and we have to be grateful to our friends to our parents our friends siblings our spouses whatever it is if anybody does something for us we got to do the thing and say thank you but then there's a part that tends to be forgotten. That's been Adam La'atmo, between you and yourself. Meaning that you have to be grateful, not for Hagadish Baruch Hu, not for your spouse, your parents, your children, your friends, your employer, your employee, but rather for yourself. And this is something that we spoke about, this idea. We, I, I didn't bring it out in this, in, this, uh, in this light, but the idea was is that Moshe Rabbeinu, Maybe I did bring it up. I don't know. I don't. Uh, I'm trying to recall how I how, how I spoke about it. But I. The, but the thought process was that you have Moshe Rabbeinu and he brought the makos. The first three makos were performed by Aaron, and this is what we mentioned before. And Rashi said why uh, brings out all the reason. But the the short version of it is is that the Moshe Rabbeinu was supposed to hit the Nile or hit the ground. He shouldn't. He wasn't supposed to hit the Nile, and he wasn't supposed to hit the ground. Why? Because the Nile and the ground did him favors, so to speak. I'm using air quotes, so to speak, right? Because obviously they're inanimate objects. But they did him favors. The Nile saved him when, you know, when he was put in the basket in the Nile. And the, um, and depending how you want to go, to the astrologers, whatever, we could go through a long, we're not going to go into all the details of that. And the ground, when he killed the Mitzri, the ground, you know, swallowed the Mitzri, and that saved him to a certain extent also. So as Hakar Sotov had gratitude, he had to the ground, and he had to the Nile, he didn't hit the Nile, and he didn't hit the ground. And we said, you know, last week, what does that mean? Like, the ground's going to be like, what are you doing? You hit me after everything that I did for you. The ground doesn't have feelings. The ground doesn't have, you know, is not able to speak and, and, and uh, present its emotions. So why was Moshe Rabbeinu not able to bring the first three Makos, and it had to be through our own, uh, you know, like we're, we're, it's inanimate. And the answer is, is that it doesn't have to do with the fact that it's the ground's going to respond back, or the ground's going to be insulted, the ground is going to be hurt. It has nothing to do with the other being. What, this is, this is other inanimate objects. But rather, what it had to do with it himself. Like if, if something, something did me something good, did, did some sort of good thing for me, I cannot do something bad, even though that other object is not going to feel it. It's for me. I have to have Hakar Stove. And this is what we spoke about last week. Regarding do you have to go and say thank you if Alexa goes and, and uh, um, you know, tells you the weather or gives you any type of, uh, uh, you know, information, should you say thank you? So the question is, is, that, is it for the, the machine or is it for you? And we said one of the reasons is it's for you. So meaning that there is three aspects to the gratitude, to the Akar Satov. There is an aspect 
between you and Kaddish Baruch Hu, obviously, between you and your friend, obviously, but also between you and yourself, meaning that you have to have gratitude for no one else other than you, for your benefit, for your growth, for your, uh, you know, spiritual, you know, achievements of what you aim to achieve. So this is meaning that it's for you. So this is something very interesting, that Hakar Satov affects all the areas where some mitzvahs affect only one, other mitzvahs affect two maybe, but Akar Stov is unique that it affects all three of them. And what we want to focus on is, is the things, specifically today, is the things that we tend to forget or we tend to not realize what or should we be thankful for. So the, there's a pasuk in Tehillim. Just to give you a, a little bit of background before I say this passage, so we know that each of the Shalshar Golem, the three, uh, um, what's the translation, pilgrimages of uh, the Jewish nation where they go up to, uh, to, to Yerushalayim, and that is Pesach, Shavuos, and Sukkot, the, 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 the Jewish nation, whether we had the base of English, would visit, you know, Yerushalayim, you would visit the base of English. And there's a Pasuk in Tehillim, and the Pasuk in Tehillim, if you want to look it up, it's chapter 122, verse 2. It says, mm-hmm. The Jewish nation were standing, our feet were standing in the gates of Yerushalayim. Now, the, the Eben Ezra goes and explains that there was a tremendous amount of people, right? So there was three times in the year where Eretz Yisrael, right, the entire Jewish nation would go to Yerushalayim. So you can imagine the traffic, right? People don't like traffic. You go to Brooklyn, you go to Lego, you go to certain parents, like so much Manhattan, you go so much traffic. People try to uh, stay away from traffic when on like rush hour. That's like crazy. But like imagine there's a rush season. Like this is not rush hour where everyone's going to pick up their kids from school or people are coming home from work. This is where everybody is going to one location. At least in rush hour, people are going in different directions. Here, everybody's going in one direction. At the same time, in the same, like, it, it, imagine the, the, the traffic that you have over there. So, the Pasuk over here says that, We were standing in the gates, meaning that there was a traffic jam. In the gates to Yerushalayim, there was so many people coming from all over Yerushalayim, trying to get into the gates of Jerusalem, to the gates of Yerushalayim. So, of course, they were standing over there because it was traffic. They weren't able to walk. The... Mishnah in Perkei Alba says that one of the ten miracles that occurred regularly, this is something that I heard from Rabbi David Asher, one of the, the, the miracles that occurred regularly at, at, in Yerushalayim was that no one complained when they would go there and they would travel and they would get into Yerushalayim. No one ever complained while being in Yerushalayim that it was overcrowded, it was cramped, there wasn't enough room. There was always enough room for everybody. So the question and Rabbi Falk brings down this question. He says, I don't understand. HaKadosh Baruch Hu made a miracle that you have a city that's full, right? There's not like, you know, Airbnbs everywhere, a bunch of empty vacation homes. I mean, maybe there was, but generally it was a full city. Everything was full. But when people came to Yerushalayim on Shalosh Regalim, it sort of expanded and it's allowed, it's kind of allowed everybody to have enough space to the point that not only there was enough space, nobody complained that, nobody had any complaints that it was cramped, that there was no room. It it miraculously expanded. So the question is, like, wait a minute. If it expanded and there was enough space for everyone, 
then why in the gates was it large crowds of people? Why were they standing? We were standing there. We were standing on our feet. Why were we standing? If there was already a miracle, let the miracle happen to the gates also. Let them expand and everybody walk in. Like, why did the miracle only kind of start after the gates? Let it start, like, you get to your time. There was no traffic. Everybody able to go in. There's no standing by the gates. There's no issues whatsoever. So the answer is, is that if there would be no traffic in the gates of Yerushalayim, people will naturally think, they will naturally assume, they would come to the conclusion that it's very simple. Yerushalayim is huge. It can naturally, through the regular realms of nature, it could hold large crowds of people. It could hold the entire Israel somehow, whatever, you know, however it was you want to think about it, it just, it just could do it. Naturally, it was no, there was no traffic, there was no standing by the gates, it just could hold everybody. So, you wouldn't realize, you wouldn't come to enjoy the, the spaciousness. You wouldn't come to enjoy the openness that of what it exists. Meaning that HaKadosh Baruch Hu created the congestion going into Yerushalayim so that once you get into Yerushalayim, you will be able to appreciate that there is space. I remember reading this from Rabbi Victor Miller, I believe it was from Rabbi Victor Miller, where um, there was a woman who had really nothing to complain. She had everything. She had a big house. She had plenty of room. She had like everything going for her. And um, she goes to her husband. She complains. And she says, uh, you know, there's no room. I have this. There's no room for this. There's no room for that. Giving a listing off all the things. So what did the husband do? It's only Rabbi Victor Miller how he could say this. What did Rabbi Victor Miller say? So what did this man do? He said he goes, he invites his mother to come live with them for four months. The mother lives there for four months. After four months, the mother, leave, the mother leaves away, which is the, the wife's, the, the woman's mother-in-law. All of a sudden, there's so much room. There's no more talking. There's no more, there's no more complaints. All of a sudden, the room, you know, the, the whole house expanded. The, the, the source of this uh, a story, um, I remember reading, is really more like in a, uh, um, it was with an animal, meaning that there was a couple that complained that the, the house is tiny. They went to the rabbi, and the woman was saying, my husband's not making enough money. I don't have a big enough house. My children, we all have one bedroom. We all sleep in the kitchen on the stoves. You know, like, eh, there's like no room. We have cupboards and that's where the children sleep. There's like no, no room. So the rabbi said, bring in an animal. Whatever, whatever version of the story you want to hear, whether it was a chicken or a goat, they brought in an animal. And it doesn't matter at this point. And let the animal, not in a cage, let her roam freely. And the animal has to stay there for one week. Now imagine you have a house. And there's an animal that's running around, pecking, whether it's a chicken or whether it's a goat or whether it's a sheep, whatever it is, there's an animal walking around the house. Now this is not a house pet, right? A chicken is not a house pet. A sheep, a goat is not a house pet. They're walking in the house, they're flying over. Imagine it's a small cramped place and you have another, you bring another animal in there. After the week goes by, the rabbi says, now take the chicken out, take the goat out, take the sheep out. They take the sheep out. All of a sudden, the house expanded. There's no noise anymore from the chicken plucking or the sheep, you know, making noise or shedding all its hair. All of a sudden, there's nothing running into the walls. There's nothing eating up the carpets. All of a sudden, the house kind of expands. When do you appreciate it? When do you appreciate it? When you, when you had that difficulty... And you came to that salvation of the difficulty being removed from you, then you can all of a sudden appreciate what you have. So sometimes, so what happened over here in, in by Yerushalayim is that if we wouldn't have had that congestion over there, we wouldn't have appreciated. Be like, wait a minute, 
Like, all of a sudden, it gave us a reminder. But, like, wait a minute. It, there was so much traffic over there. And all of a sudden, like, it's amazing over here. Have you ever been, you know, imagine this. You're driving. And you get into this, like, short, short congestion of traffic. Usually, it's like there is a cop on the other side, right? There's a cop, on, not even on your side, but everybody has to stop and look because they're the next reporter that they have to report and they have to know everything because we have to know everything that's going on. And there's a cop, what happened? There was an accident, someone's got arrested, someone's got a ticket. We're all very interested and we're looking. What happens is, is that you're causing traffic for everybody behind you. And you get into this congestion. Imagine you have this trap, this cop on the other side, cause congestion, and all of a sudden it opens up and you're, you could go, go back to the normal speed limit. The normal speed. How good do you feel for that first like twenty seconds where you're instead of going bumper to bumper and you know at like five miles per hour and all of a sudden opens up and you're able to go if it's on a highway fifty, sixty, whatever it is miles per hour. All of a sudden you feel like wow, you could really look at how much ground I'm covering in such a short period. You appreciate it. Why do you appreciate it that more than if there was no traffic to begin with? Because you don't stop to think about it. But now that you are held in this sort of captivity, whether it's mental or physical, you you are held in this in this area where you you couldn't achieve the nor the normal that you were expected or anticipated to achieve. You all of a sudden start thinking like, wait a minute, now I could appreciate it. So HaKadosh Baruch Hu made this congestion that we would be able to appreciate once we, get into, once we get into Yerushalayim. So when we look at life, sometimes we need to see the problem, unfortunately, to appreciate the good. The trick is really to appreciate and get close to HaKadosh Baruch Hu without the problems, without getting the problems. You know, it's unfortunate, but sometimes we wouldn't know how to appreciate or to appreciate, to have a karsatov, to have gratitude, unless we see the negative. We, we just like need that. And I'll give you an example. Most people do not say, thank you, Hashem, that I did not get abducted by aliens today and be sent to outer space and live on Mars and stuck on Jupiter or whatever it is, right? No one... In their mind, they're not like, oh, you know, Baruch Hashem, that didn't happen. You cross the street and you come home safely, you're driving, you're like, okay, a normal thought would be, Baruch Hashem, I got home safely. A normal thought would not be, well, you know, thank God I didn't get beamed up by a spaceship and, you know, had experiments done on me and then sent to outer space and lost out. Why? Because that's not something that's a real concern. That's never happened, even though you have some people with tinfoil hats, I'll tell you that it has, but it's never happened. And you don't even consider to think about to appreciate it. So what we appreciate is something that we could relate to. And we can relate to when we, when we hear about the negative aspect of certain things, we could appreciate the good. We could appreciate our health. We could appreciate our pranasa. We could appreciate that we have legs. We could appreciate that we have eyes. We have kidneys. We have a job. We have an apartment. We have a house. We have a spouse. We have children. We could appreciate these things because some people don't have those things. And we can realize that we could come to the conclusion of we're like we're thankful for what we have because of the negative aspect of the opposite of, of what we have, meaning that we don't have it. So the idea behind here is, is that just like HaKadosh Baruch Hu had to create a congestion in the gates so that we would appreciate the openness, we have to go and appreciate our openness, our, you know, our life, our blessings in our life without having HaKadosh Baruch Hu have to remind us, I'm using air quotes, to remind us of the difficulties that we may experience. That sometimes HaKadosh Baruch Hu sends, HaKadosh Baruch Hu wants us to be close to him. 
And sometimes we're far away. So HaKadosh Baruch Hu sends us reminders or problems. So we'll pray harder and we'll come closer. The trick of this, uh, the, the trick of is that we would appreciate and get close to HaKadosh Baruch Hu without the problems. Before the issues come, we could be like, no, no, wait, HaKadosh Baruch Hu, I love you, I care, I thank you. And, and we go through all these, we appreciate it before we have the issues. There is a Pasuk in Echa, chapter 3, verse 39, that says, Mayisainin Adam Chai. What can a living man complain about? Someone who's alive, what could they complain about? Now, I want to go through a little bit of a journey about the, the, the human body. Something that we've done before, I'm going to go a little bit on a different angle. We know the human, the human body is, is nothing short of miraculous. There are so many parts that need to work together to make your body work and stay alive. But I want to focus briefly on something called the nerve cells. So nerve cells, there are over 7 trillion nerves in the human body. That's 7 with a, well, 7 trillion with a T, not a billion, not a million, 7 trillion nerves in a human body. These all, you know, constantly they're part of the, the, the body's nervous system. And when you think about nerves, nerves are more like, think of it like electrical wiring throughout your entire body. And they transmit signals between your brain, your spinal cord, and well, that's a, that and, and the rest of your the rest of your body. So it's kind of sending messages throughout your entire body. Every nerve has a specific function. There's there's different classifications, different categories of nerves. So you have something called the motor nerves. Motor nerves are something that control your your movement. You you want to lift you know your hands. You want to walk. This is controlled by your nerves, but particularly your motor nerves. Then you have the autonomic nerves, which is something that is subconscious, meaning your blood pressure, your heart rate, your digestion, your bladder. This is not something that you concentrate and be like heartbeat. You know, like keep on going. You know, stomach. You know, work on digest. You don't you don't think this all the subconscious does without you thinking. This is the, and that's why the, the, the names of the autonomic nerves, that's what the name comes from. It's, it's, it's by itself. And then finally, we have the sensory nerves, which I want to focus on. Sensory nerves are nerves that receive sensation. So you have temperature, pain, uh, touch, vibration, any type of something that touches your skin, you feel that this is the sensory, this is the sensory nerves. Now, when you think about the sensory nerves, so you have someone touching you lightly. Let's say it's your mother touching you lightly on your arm. So what is your initial feeling? That's a, a feeling of pleasure. You're like, okay, my mother, it's a love, it's a loving touch. And it's a touch that feels a pleasure. Now imagine you have another gentle touch. And this is a gentle touch of a lighter or a hot plate or a pot that's on the fire. It's just a gentle touch. What happens when your body feels, when your arm feels that, that touch, a very gentle touch of heat, you recoil in pain. You feel the pain. Meaning that the same amount of pressure, at one, in one aspect, it made you feel good. Another aspect, it made you feel, you know, bad. It made, you, it made it, it hurt. You take another sensation where you have a sensation of some little animal crawling on your skin. You have a spider crawling on your arm. What is your, even before seeing it, you initially just like brush it off. Right now, everybody has an itchy part of the body right now. You're itching your leg because something thought about it. And now I said that. So now maybe you're itching your nose because now it's itchy over here. And maybe you have something on your arm. So your arms get, you know, get itchy. But when you think about it, you don't think you don't even, your body has such keen sensations that the sensory nerves, you're able to, it, it sends a message and your body instantly knows like, okay, I'm going to feel good. I'm going to feel pain. 
I'm going to feel icky and I'm going to throw it off, you know, away. You have so much. It's a crazy thing. You, you think about it. You could feel a tiny bug on you. Crawling on you. You could feel it that it's, it's less than a, it's a weight that if you, you wouldn't be able to even feel the weight. But yet your body is so sensitive that it's, you're able to feel the little animal crawling. We don't even begin to realize the, the, the amazingness of that. Like, how cool is that? That you have different sense, the, the, the touches. If this is just all on one aspect of the nerves and a subcategory of how they, they feel and how they send the messages to the brain and how that makes your reaction. And that's necessary for your, I shouldn't say your survival. Well, for some people, bugs on the hand, it's necessary for the survival, but it's generally necessary for your well-being. Now, there's something that's called peripheral neuropathy. Peripheral neuropathy is something that damages the nerves. It damages this different aspect, whether it's the sensation, whether it's the nerves that control movement. But generally, peripheral, peripheral neuropathy is something that affects the nerves in the peripheral area, which is the hands usually and the feet. The further part, peripheral is the further part of the body, the hands and the feet. And it results in things like weakness uh, in, your, in your extremities, or numbness, maybe a little bit of pain, tingling, um, you know, different things of that sort. One of the main, I shouldn't say one of the main causes, one of the common causes of this peripheral neuropathy, which is a decrease in sensation, a uh, increase in pain or numbness, is diabetes. So diabetics, they don't have the full sensation. They have these nerves are damaged. So they don't have the full sensation in their extremities, whether it's the hands or their feet. And this is why it's very common if somebody has diabetes, they go to the doctor. The doctor says, make sure that you check your feet every single night. It's very, very important that diabetic check their feet. Why? Because they have a decrease in sensation to the point that you have stories, many stories where you have diabetics where they would be walking and they would step into a nail. The nail would go through their shoe and into their skin, into their foot. But because of the damaged nerves, because of their peripheral neuropathy, because of their decreased sensation and feelings in their feet, they don't feel it. They don't feel that the entire shoe is getting you know, flooded with blood. They don't, they don't feel any pain. They don't realize that something's there. And what happens is, if you don't check it, that could lead into infection. That could lead into, you know, unfortunately, you know, uh, amputation as well. And by the way, this is for diabetics. It's not only on a nail getting stuck in your in your foot. If there's a blister and they don't realize and treat the blister because they have poor circulation in their extremities, the blister is not able to heal. The blister could get ulcerated. It could get infected. And if the infection isn't resolved, which is very common, unfortunately, that leads to amputation. And you have people that have diabetes, unfortunately, and that because of an unresolved something minor but because of the damage to the nerves damage to the the blood flow wasn't as as you know the way that it should be they had to amputate you know the the entire foot or up to their knee or even its toe it doesn't matter they had to amputate it meaning that they lost a leg because of a decrease in sensation a decrease of the blood flow to their leg now if you think about this if you have a diabetic that doesn't feel their legs they stub their toe they're not going to feel it. 
there's no pain there. There's nothing there that, assuming that they have these, this, uh, this type of peripheral neuropathy, they're not going to feel, they're not going to have, they have a decrease in sensation. Maybe they'll feel a little bit, but they barely won't feel it. You have somebody else, on the other hand, who has a healthy blood flow, who has healthy nerves. They stub their toe. Oh, Shmai they they think they're on the deathbed. It's, you know, especially if you got the little toe. Woo, forget about that. You know, you talk about a little, you know, the pain is unbearable. It's unbelievable. So the second that we stub our toe and we get this pain, we have this, Besides the shooting pain and the and the you know the annoyance more of what we have, we have this like oh and we look about what just caused us the pain. It was this. It was this person's fault. They left this toy. toy. But if we stop for a second, be like, wait a minute, you're able to feel the pain on your toe. You know how thankful we have to be. There are people that can stub their toe and they don't feel it. What a bracha it is that we stub our toe and we feel it. How amazing is that? The next time that you stub your toe, hopefully it shouldn't be until 120 amongst other problems, but if you stub your toe, you should say Baruch Hashem. And you feel the pain. Baruch Hashem that I feel the pain. How many people stub the toe that don't feel the pain? How many people wish that they could have felt the pain? How many people wish that they had a foot to stub? How many people have so much that they don't even begin to realize when there is a little bit of a difficulty, they don't begin to appreciate it. Someone's driving, and unfortunately, I have a flat tire. And it's annoying. Yeah, I, I get it. Trust me, I've been there. Like, you don't want to deal with it. But you have a car or a bike or whatever it is that you're, you're driving. You have something. Like, if we stop for a second and we think about it, and this is something that I think it's so important to work out, specifically stubbing the toe. I don't know why that's something that's very, very specific. I mentioned this example many times. But this is something that happens. You're just walking and, you're, and, and your initial reaction is like, ow, or whatever it is that you scream. If you can make it that your next time that you stub your toe, get a paper cut, whatever it is, instead of saying ow or whatever, it is, the first thing that comes out of your mind will be, Baruch Hashem. Thank you, Hashem. Imagine that the, the first of all, imagine how you're going to react to that. Like you feel good, you never feel good about stubbing your toe. But if you stub your toe and you say thank you, Hashem, like after, like right away, like not like six hours later, I'd be like, you know, you know, like okay, fine, now I can't do it. But if you get to that point where you like stub your toe, he's like thank you, Hashem, like you'll leave that toe stubbing experience like happy, like you know, uh, yeah, <laughs> that was worth it. That was good. You know, like uh, you, you feel good about yourself. We have to try to realize, to thank HaKadosh Baruch Hu for the things that we tend to forget to think. You know, speaking about the body, every minute you have close to 1,000 milliliters of blood. So about a liter of blood that goes through your brain every single minute. A liter of blood, you know, you're taking about, you know, a two liter soda can, so a bottle, you take half of that. Take a, any a wine, a wine uh, um, not a glass. Uh, a wine bottle is about 750 milliliters. So between, uh, imagine a little bit more than a wine bottle. goes That amount of liquid goes through your brain every single minute. Do we realize like how much is coming into like the work over here? Like uh, your, your, your brain tissue, if you take a brain tissue the size of a sand, that, which is tiny, tiny, right? That itself has 100,000 neurons. You don't have to know what neurons are, but there are 100,000 of them. There's a billion synapses. There's a communication that they're communicating with each other in a tiny little grain of sand. And that's what's in your, that's in your, the, your, your, the information of your brain travels faster than the fastest car. 
Like that's how fast it's traveling through inside your brain. You ever think about your brain storage capacity? You know, it's, it's, it's pretty much unlimited. You're able to store and store things in your brain. There's like, you know, like imagine you have a phone or a camera or whatever it is, uh, you know, where you have unlimited storage. Just like uh, you could take billions and billions of gigabytes and terabytes and just like billions and billions of information. And there's, there's, there's no such thing as a limit. Could you imagine there's something that we're a finite being with an unlimited capacity, which is something that's hard to even comprehend. You know, an average human beings have over 70,000 thoughts a day. You know what 70,000 thoughts a day is? Like, and this is just happening just like constantly. Did we ever appreciate the fact that we could think? You know, the fact that the amount of blood vessels that we have in our brain are about close to 100,000 miles in length. To give you an understanding, a little bit of perspective on this. To fly around the world is a little bit on a little bit under twenty five thousand miles, so you have enough blood vessels to go around the world four times. In the, you know, your brain, however big or little you think it is, that's how much inf- that's what you have over there. When was the last time? And I speak for myself also. When was the last time we're like, wow, that is beautiful. Like, thank you for my brain. Thank you for the blood vessels in my brain. Thank you that I am able to have so many thoughts a day. Like we, we don't we don't we don't think about that. We don't like thank you that I could touch, that I could feel. That you know, you have a spider crawling on you, of course it's disgusting. You hear a fly buzzing on you, you go crazy about it, you hear the, the you know the noise. It's like, but wait a minute, you could hear. You could feel something. So instead of being like, oh, you know, like oh you know, it's like this broken creations, but like you're like, wait a minute, I could hear it. I can feel it. How cool is that? That you can have a tiny bug, the sign, the, the size of a grain of rice, that could be crawling on your back of your neck. You don't see it, but you could feel it. And now that you could feel it, once you feel it move, you're like, wait a minute, that's a bug. You realize what it is. Like you could technically see things behind you by just feeling it. That's unbelievable. Now you have your fingerprints. There's 40 unique characteristics in a fingerprint. Many of the smartphones now they use a fingerprint, uh, um, uh, you know, scan to to unlock the phones. The fingerprint has 40 unique characteristics. You know, your eye, your iris has 256 unique different characteristics. Meaning that if you go to high, you know, government, you know, uh, um, securities, a lot of them need to use retina scans because it could be more secure for that. You ever think about why that could this probably do that? Why am I so unique to other people? 256 unique things in my eye to the other person. Like, where do, do we ever begin to even appreciate our uniqueness? My fingerprint is, is different than every other fingerprint. And that's less than your iris, than your eye. Did we ever say, thank you, that I am me, that I'm different? Generally, we like to be like the other person. The guy I am, and I like to say the guy I am, and I hope it's just the guy I like to be like the celebrities. We wish that we could be like them. We're like, God created you different. God created you. Thank HaKadosh Baruch for who you are. You're unique. There's no one else like you on this earth. There's no one else with your thought process. There's no one else with your fingerprint. There's no one else that had the same iris as you. There's no one else that had the same upbringing as you. You are the most unique being on this planet. 
did we ever think we, we tend to be jealous and we tend to like want what others and we tend to forget that we're special not just because your mother told you that you're special which I'm sure is true but you're different than everybody else you have a different purpose in this world we have to stop for a second when did we ever think about that when did we were like you know thank you for being different I need a crazy fact Every time I read this, I like it's so hard for me to like comprehend this. Even I'll tell you why. So the human eye can see five hundred different shades of gray. And when I was thinking about this, I'm like, really, it should say the human woman eye can see five hundred shades of gray. Because men generally, unless you're working in paint or colors, you can see gray and then light gray, dark gray medium gray, and then just gray. Like, that's really where our knowledge goes for gray. But you go to a woman and be like, you see this gray? And be like, yeah, that's graphite. What? What's gra- graphite? What's graphite? No, you know, you show another thing. This is pewter. This is slate. This is charcoal. This is, and then you go on and on. And then all these things, and be like, what are you talking about? You're talking about things that light fire. You're talking about things that are stone. Like, what is what is poo- what is even pewter? I don't even know what that means. What's slate? What even what color is slate? Gray. It, you know, like all I know there's light gray, dark gray, medium gray, and maybe there's different variations from that. So really, women can see five hundred different shades of gray. Isn't that isn't that crazy that your eye can see five hundred different shades of something? If you're a woman, if you're a man, then you can't comprehend this. So, like, you know, like, I, yeah, again, you know, you go and you see a white wall and be like, no, this is eggshell. And then, no, this is, you know, uh, whatever. This is Swiss and this is this. And there's so many different things. And it looks white or it looks gray or it looks black or it looks blue. Right. We're, we're, we're kind of the and men are kind of just like whatever's in the rainbow. That's what we can identify with. And that's as far as we go. We don't know what peach is. We we just, you know, like it's a fruit, you know, there's no, what color is peach? I, I don't know. Peach has different colors all around. Like, do you go to the light? Do you go to the gray? I have to bring a peach in and I don't even know which one to compare to. You know, but you have, your eye has a capability to see so many different variations. You have, uh, um, you know, lights now that they sell these lights, these LED lights, these color changing lights, 16 million different colors and you're able to go... And you're able to take a green and you're able to make it into, again, I don't know if it's lime, lemon, juice, or whatever it is that you go in between. You have this green and you're able to go and change all these different, and your eye can see that. How awesome that, you know, like people don't, we tend to forget to appreciate color. And even if you can't see color, I, again, I, I don't know the, the, the extent of colorblindness, if they can see different variations of gray, but if you think about it, forget about color for a second. Just gray, you know, you can create a whole painting with different variations of white and black to make that gray. Like, it could be so beautiful, and all you have is, is this one gray with lighter and darker, in, you know, I guess between white and, and, and black. And when was the last time that we went to Akadosh Baruch and be like, you know what? Thank you that I'm able to see so, because how beautiful is the world that we're able to see all different colors? I, like, if you, if you think about it, like, it's amazing where you could go and look at a wall, where a wall is one color, the windowsill is another color, the window shades are another color, the bookcase is another color, and you're able to all appreciate that while sitting in your chair. Like, that's something, if everything would just be one color, it would be a little bit boring. But Akadish Baruch created us with the ability to see all these different colors. When 
was the last time, and I'm speaking to myself also, it's not just, you know, for, when was the last time that we were thankful to HaKadosh Baruch Hu, that we can see colors? Like, we don't even begin. We're like, okay, thank you that I make make a suit this idea that we were able to get, didn't get into our cocks. But like, like, what about the simple stuff? What about the basic stuff? If we could only spend a minute a day, if we would only spend 25 seconds, 20 seconds, 15, 10 seconds a day, just contemplating for 10 seconds on how much we have, then we could really fulfill that Pasuk at Eicha in chapter 3, verse 39. What can a living person complain? You know, Rashi and Kedushin, page 80b goes and says that how can people complain in their lives after all the chesed like this Bible says, that, that I performed for them. Like, imagine you have a guy that was very successful in business. I don't know, he was worth 15 billion, 20 billion, doesn't matter, pick your pick. And unfortunately, he gets sick. He gets sick, let's say he's 50 years old. He has 15 billion dollars in the bank. Forget about what he's worth, he has 15 billion in the bank. And the, the, all the doctors, he went through all the doctors and all the specialists and all the world, and he flew in every, everybody said he has three weeks left to live and that's it it's done and then there's a doctor that comes to see him and he says listen he says i have an experimental treatment an experimental drug that i believe it can save you but it's going to cost you you have 15 million dollars in your bank it's going to cost you 14.9 billion dollars but the doctor says you don't have to pay me unless you get healed fully i'll give you the treatment free of charge if you die and it doesn't work, you don't pay me a cent. But if you live, you have to pay me 14.9 billion. You know what? Let's change up the story. You have to pay me $15 billion. Everything that you have in the bank, you have to send it over to me. Only if you live. Otherwise, you keep it. it or your family keeps it because you're not here anymore. So which guy is not going to take that deal? Most people, 99.9% of the people, will be like, of course. You know, like what other options they have. They tried every other option. All the doctors have three weeks left to live. Here you have somebody that's offering him a chance of survival. What? Who's not going to take everything that they own to survive? How grateful do we have to be that we're, health, we're healthy, we're alive, and we don't have to spend all our money to get better? Imagine this guy went and spent $15 billion, and the doctor saved him, and he gave him the $15 billion. He, law, he gave him all his money, everything that he worked for. What is his emotions going to be to this doctor? He's going to still be very grateful to the doctor. The doctor saved him. Yes, he gave him his whole life savings. But the doctor said he's alive today because of the doctor. So he's going to be grateful for this doctor, even though it cost him all his money. How thankful, how grateful, how much we have to have to attack this Baruch that we're still alive and we don't have to spend all our money to be alive. You know, there's a saying, good health is the real wealth. When people go and um, they're in danger of losing their health, then they be- can begin to appreciate what health is. You know, if someone's going through a headache or a toothache, toothache, that's a good example. Someone's going through a toothache and the tooth is killing them. And for weeks and weeks, the tooth is bad until they finally go to the dentist. And once the pain goes away, how much do they appreciate that? You know, you come out of the dentist or you come out of whatever it is that you, you had a stomach ache, you were nauseous, you had a headache, and all of a sudden you don't have it anymore. 
how much do you appreciate it? It's like, it's like, it's like, wow, it's amazing. Now, there's some people that deal with chronic conditions. And imagine they don't have that chronic pain. Imagine how that they, they would feel. Like, it would be crazy. But at the same point in time, let's say you had some sort of pain for like a week or two months. You were nauseous for a really long period of time. And then the nausea went away. So you appreciate it that you don't, you're not nauseous anymore. But how long does it last? It lasts a few hours. If you're really like someone that does his baidus and you contemplate and you meditate, so maybe it could last a few days, maybe a few weeks. But you kind of go back to where it was before. Kind of quickly. In fact, even lottery winners, they say within 18 months, they go back to their, their baseline uh, level of happiness. Like we, we tend to get used to what we have. Our goal, our focus, and this is really one of the, 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 the purposes of this series, and specifically this year, is that we can't get into this robotic you know, mindset where everything is just coming to us. We have to be thankful to HaKadosh Baruch Hu. There's so much that we have to be thankful for. When you think about somebody, a group of people, imagine, they're traveling in the forest, and they get lost in the winter. It's cold. It's freezing. You know, it's raining. It's snowing. The old man is... It's like, it's, it's bad. And they don't have any food left. They're starving. They're walking. They haven't eaten in days. They're about to die. And out of nowhere, a wagon driver pulls up. And the driver sees them, immediately stops... They see it. They think it's a mirage. Is that real? Is that now? They try to feel his face. Are you real? And he's like, what are you doing? And, you know, like, you know, can I help you? They have like, you know, frosted beards and the hair is full of ice. And they're like, and he quickly rushes them inside into the wagon and he says, you know, have you eaten? And they're like, no, they barely could take. And he gives them some stale bread and some rotten tomatoes they had sitting in the back. And they chew this down. Is there anybody on this? journey to that got lost that's sitting over there that's eating the stale bread is there anybody that's going to be upset and be like wait a minute you don't have steak you like you have some butter for this bread you have some like this is rotten how this is so hard <laughs> i i can't believe this is toast or is this uh, bread like i you know like <laughs> i remember my cousin he used to uh, like i remember to this day when he would eat um you know stale bread he wouldn't say, you know, like, you know, he would eat the bread and he'll be, and he, and he told me, he's like, he's like, in my mind, I know it's stale, but in my mind, I think it's toast. So it's not so bad because in my mind, even though it's stale, but you think about it, it's just like toast. You think about somebody who has been starving for three days, hasn't eaten anything. They finally get some sort of food that's spoiled, that's rotten, that's who knows what, disgusting, it's burnt, whatever it is. Do you think they're complaining and be like, wait a minute, like the flavor is not really there. And, you know, like I can't taste the, you know, it doesn't, doesn't satisfy my palate. Like, no, are you kidding me? They're going to be so thankful, so grateful. So if we have this mindset in life that no matter what we get, we're going to be so grateful, so thankful. Like next time your spouse cooks for you. And maybe your spouse's cooking is lacking. You know, I cannot understand that. Baruch Hashem, my wife cooks very well. I cannot begin to, you know, uh, to understand people that have, a, you know, their wives don't, don't, don't cook well. But imagine, imagine you have a wife that doesn't, doesn't, you know, forgets, you know, things in the oven and it comes out, you know, blacker than it should be or darker than it should be or more charcoaly than it should be. And you're sitting and you're chewing over this, you know, and you're, so are you could either be like, oh man, it's hard, it's stale, it's broken, it's red, it's broken, it's, 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 it's burnt. So many things that you could, or you could be like, wait a minute, I have food, sustenance that I could put inside. If we stop for a second and think about it, not only do I have sustenance, I have a spouse that's cooking for me. Like how amazing that is. 
I have a roof over my shoulder that I can eat this burnt chicken. I have, the, the, it's endless. If we stop focusing on what we think we deserve and start appreciating of what we have, our entire mindset is going to be different. Some, you know, spouses, their ability to make money. Maybe it's not up to par, but you, you, ha- you have an apartment. You have, you're able to pay rent. You're able to have a roof over your shoulder. Yeah, and you had, yeah, you have, you have a spouse. You have health. There's so many things to be thankful for, but unless you're thinking about this constantly, you won't be able to deal with the tests that come. Okay, I didn't realize how late it is. I want to finish off with one thought. Seeing the time. Uh, I really want to break. You know, we, we have, let's finish off with one thought. So, why do we have to be thankful for the small things? I want to bring you a little bit of proof over here, and then we'll open up to questions. There's a Pasuk in Shemais, chapter 13, verse 3 to verse 4. And the Pasuk goes and says, Zachar, the Pasuk speaking about, remember the day that HaKadosh Baruch took you out of Mitzrayim, out of Egypt. The next Pasuk, Pasuk Dalet, Pasuk number four, it says, You're coming out out of the month of spring. Meaning that the Jewish nation is coming out of Egypt. And the next Pasuk says, and so, you know, you're supposed to remember it, Zachar, remember this. And the next one says, Today that you're going out, it's in the month of spring. Rashi says, wait a minute, don't you think they knew what month they were in? I mean, not everybody knows the date. And sometimes if you're writing checks, what people still do with ancient people, right? You're writing still a check. You know, they're like, okay, what's today's date? You're not, but generally, you know what month you're in, right? You definitely know what year you're in. You know what month you're in, more or less. So ask Rashi, didn't they know what month they were in? So he goes on to explain that because Rokhu uh, says, no, look at the kindness that I did for you. Hashem wanted the Bnei Israel, the Jewish nation, to recognize the kindness that Rokhu did for them. When they left Mitzrayim, it was not too hot, it was not too cold, it was not raining, it was a beautiful spring day. Rokhu wanted us to appreciate the weather when we left Mitzrayim. Now, if you think about this for a second, the Jewish people suffered for 210 years in, in slavery. And it wasn't like slavery, like, mm, work nine to five. No, no, no. It was like slavery. It wasn't your slavery that you're in a, in a job that you're not happy. This was slavery where you got beaten if you didn't get, and you got murdered. And it was like, there was no like good aspect to this. You didn't get paid. It was bad all around. 210 years of this. Now, Agadish Baruch took the Bnei Israel out of this, but not only took them out of this, there was like amazing makos that Akadish Baruch afflicted the Egyptians. There was splitting of the sea. There was like crazy miracles. The Jewish people were finally being saved. And not only that, they were going out of Egypt with wealth that they couldn't even begin to imagine. Imagine gold and silver and diamonds and jewels they were able to take out. And not only that they had the physical wealth, they were going to receive the Torah, spiritual wealth. They're going to be rescued from the 49th level. They were rescued from the 49th level of Tumah. That's so much stuff that was huge things that were happening. Did it really matter that it was nice weather? Like you have a prisoner that's serving a life sentence and all of a sudden he gets out. Is he going to be like, well, it's a nice day today. He'd be like, no, he might take a breath of fresh air and be like, this is free air. And the, 
one of the last things that he'll realize is the fact that, oh, you know, it's not too hot, not too cold. Like that's, it's a spring. It's like, like he doesn't, he's out. So did it really matter to the Jewish people what the weather was? They were released from the prison that they had for 210 years. And not only that, listen to this, this is even get, makes it even crazier. The Jewish people left Mitzrayim, the, we know that the, the Ananiah covered the clouds of glory, they paved the way in front of them. So if there was ever a mountain zip, they made, it made the ground in front of them, you know, straight. And there was, there was a cloud on top of them that protected them from the heat of the sun. So when they were inside the Ananiah covered, they were unaware of the weather outside. The miracle of Ananiah covered, when did it begin? It began when the Jewish nation arrived at Sukkot. So they went from, from Mitzrayim and they arrived at Sukkot. There, th- that's when they were already in the Ananiah covered, meaning so that the only time they were able to appreciate the weather was from when they left Mitzrayim until they arrived at Sukkot. There, that, between that, that travel, that's where they were able to see the weather and appreciate the weather. How long was it? Rashi tells us. It's less than the time that it takes for the dough to rise. Less than 18 minutes. Meaning that they travel from one place to another, and during that point A to point B is when they were able to appreciate the, the weather, and that was less than 18 minutes. The Torah devotes an entire Pasuk. You know, saying, You're leaving at the month of spring. It's telling you straight. For 18 minutes, this has to, this is not like, okay, so you're traveling cross country and it didn't rain and you're on a horse and buggy. Okay, I can understand that. 18 minutes and that's what the puzzle is about. We have to be thankful for. Why was it necessary for us to remember it? Why is it necessary for the Torah to put that in the, in, you know, to put that full pasuk for it? Not an X. We, we dash it out every single extra letter in the Torah. Here, it's a full pasuk on it. Why is this so necessary? Why is this so important? Hakadosh Baruch Hu wants to show us how much He cares for us. That even an 18-minute journey, even though that you are in 210 years of brutal, horror, horrific Gehenna, and you saw all the miracles, and it was crazy. Hakadosh Baruch Hu says, "Don't forget the small things." You have to realize that Hakadosh Baruch Hu loves us not only in the big situations in our lives, when we look for our parking spot. When we stub our toe, when we have a paper cup, when we can see different shades of gray, when we can appreciate all the different things in life, HaKadosh Baruch is showing us, I love you and I care about you and I want you to enjoy, I want you to appreciate it. We see over here that how important it is to appreciate the small things in life. Even the beautiful weather when it's the last thing that you want to think about. So the takeaway that for today, before we open up the questions, is it's easy to be thankful for the big things. But the goal is be thankful for the small things. Say thank you for the fact that you're able to feel your feet. Say thank you that you're able to see color. Say thank you for whatever it is, for any small little thing. We tend to forget the little things. But Kaddish Baruch Hu devoted an entire Pasuk to say, don't forget the little things. Remember the weather that you had when you left Mitzrayim. For that 18 minutes, I gave you good weather. Don't forget the good things. And we should try. We should try at least once a day 
to say thank you to HaKadosh Baruch Hu for the little things. For the fact that you're able to smell, that you're able to feel, that you're able to touch. Say thank you that you're able to feel that there's a spider crawling on you or there's a fly buzzing near you. Or that you have a husband to go and kill the fly or move the spider or whatever. It doesn't matter what. Focus on those little, little things. And this is something that I really should I should have been ending every single one of my classes on Hakar Satov. And every single one of the Shiran should have been ended with, with this thought that I, I, tr- I push very, very strongly. And that is every single day, you should really try to tell Akadish Baruch Hu five things that you're thankful for. So today, after this class, when you log off and whenever you hear this, I want to put a little caveat to that. Say five things that you're thankful to Akadish Baruch Hu. But pick the tiny things, the little tiny things that you would have never been thankful for. That's what you should focus for. And Emirat Hashem, with the amount of Akar Satov that we have to Akadish Baruch Hu, Akadish Baruch Hu is not going to need to send us any reminders because we're so thankful and we're so close to Akadish Baruch Hu that we should only be blessed with tremendous amount of bracha, hatzlacha, siyata deshmaya, health, painasa, and everything and all the brachas in the Torah may all fall upon us and we're able to get closer to Akadish Baruch Hu. Okay, now we'll open up to questions. Okay, here we go. First question. Is saying thank you to an inanimate object a form of avodazara? Because it's like you're attributing it them them instead of a kaddish Okay, great, great point. So uh, let's say some sort of uh, let's say you're walking and. Uh, you're, you're walking and there's a snake crawling behind you. And somehow, miraculously, there's a branch that was dead and fell off and the snake was about to jump at you. And instead of jumping at you, it, the branch fell right in its mouth at that particular time. So the branch kind of saved you. Do you have to go and be like, oh, thank you, branch. Thank you so much. In a sense, yes. But you don't, you're not thanking the branch. Hakar satov to inanimate objects, meaning that you're not going to the to the ground that saved Moshe Rabbeinu didn't go to the ground, bow down to the ground, Hashem, you know, and start thinking that of course not. But there's a kar satov meaning that okay, fine, a branch saved me now from a snake, so I have to make sure, like maybe I'll be extra careful around wood. Like why, as a reminder of what I have to be grateful for. So you're not, in a sense, giving any power to the inanimate object. You're not giving any, any uh, um, of, of course, everything's from HaKadosh Baruch Hu, And this inanimate object didn't decide to save you. It's all from HaKadosh Baruch Hu. But there's an aspect of saying, wait a minute, if something good happened to me because of X, Y, and Z, I, for myself, not for the wood, not for the stone, not for anything else, I have to be grateful for it. Of course, I'm grateful to HaKadosh Baruch Hu and to no one else. That's really what I'm being grateful for. But... As a training thing for myself, now maybe I, you know, if I see a wood instead of, you know, I'll, I'll, you know, move it on the side, and, you know, neatly. Why? Not for the wood, not for anything that the wood is going to do to me or hurt me or whatever it is, but rather for myself. So thank you for bringing it up. Absolutely not. You should not be attributing any power to the to the inanimate objects. All talk of this bracha, but at the same point in time, you should have a karasatov because that's for yourself, not for the inanimate object. Okay, next thing. There's a video on YouTube that shows uh, it's a video on YouTube that shows colorblind people seeing color for the first time using special glasses. It's incredible to see the appreciation of colors that these people never seen before. That you know, it reminds me of. There's once 
um, someone that sent me a video of someone hearing for the first time. I don't know if this is on YouTube or, or I'm, I'm sure everything's on there, uh, but don't, you don't search for it. Um, where, where you have somebody that heard for the first time. So some people that were deaf, they were able to have some sort of transplant or some sort of medical procedure that they were able to hear for the first time. And, and all you could see the emotions that they had when their mother or their wife or their husband spoke to them for the first time or their, you know, it was a kid. Uh, I saw that in this video, there was also a kid who couldn't see and he had gla he had these like thick glasses and all of a sudden he saw his parents for the first time and how emotional he got. And I, I thought it was so powerful because we, again, when was the last time that we could appreciate that we could hear our spouse? Yes, your spouse might nag you and the spouse might annoy you, and the spouse, but you could hear it. Isn't that beautiful? Isn't that amazing? Like, of course, we don't want to be nagged and annoyed, but if you stop for a second, the next time that your wife or your spouse or your husband annoys you, whether they said something stupid or they did something, whatever it is, be like, wait a minute, you know, like, and it could even be a friend or, you know, if you're not married yet. But like, but I could hear you like, you know, like, okay, I, you know, like you said something dumb and you shouldn't have said that, but I heard it. Like, isn't that cool? Like, like that's, that's how could I, like you did something and I could close my eyes and I could, you know, I could know what you did. Like, it's something like crazy when you stop and you, you just like, think about that. All right, next. Um, do we know what happens to the soul of the babies that the Egyptians drowned? So... There, there was a ticket for, uh, you know, for them. There is um, Alpikabala. There is um, different things that the, the that that it's spoken about. Like for example, one of the babies Moshe Rabbeinu saved, and those that particular baby Michal, he went and he unfortunately was very instrumental in creating the eagle. Those babies were meant as a kapara to die, whether it was, depending on where they died, whether it was from the Dharmapal or Dharaflaga, meaning from the generation of the tower, there were some babies that the way that they died, they died in the bricks. The woman gave birth in the bricks and this was a kapara, this was an atonement to that, meaning that they built the the Tower of Babel, so the Darfaga, so they built a tower up to Kaddish Baruch Hu, you know, to sort of fight God. So their ticket was that they were going to come back to this world, and because they built a tower of stone, they were going to go into stone, and that was going to be their fix. And Moshe Rabbeinu said, oh, why don't we take one out? Maybe it's really good, but really these souls, did what they, they shouldn't have been taken out, because this is what Kaddish Baruch Hu decreed, and was instrumental for their tikkun, and that's why they needed to, you know, go through whatever it is that they went through. But, uh, uh, so again, so what happened after the souls, I'm assuming they had a ticket and maybe they came back again for the, you know, for the third time, uh, to, or many more times, depending on how they, they, uh, um, they lived their life. But that's the, the, uh, an answer based on Gilgul and based on reincarnation. Okay. Look at that. Last, last week we had about an hours of question here. We seem to be done pretty quickly. Um, oh, we have another question. I have a random question. Do you know of any explanation or reason why people are not privileged with oral 2020 vision? Oh, why do so many people wear glasses? That's a good question. That's a good question. I, I would venture to say, first of all, um, there is an aspect that people ruin their eyes. 
uh, let's say they, you know, again, I don't know if it's scientifically true, but I remember this growing up where if you're like, you know, you're not supposed to read on the low lighting and you're not supposed to, um, you know, look at things too closely. You're supposed to do some sort of eye exercises. But at the end of the day, there are some people that are just, you know, since they're younger, they, they get glasses and they don't have, uh, they don't have perfect vision. And you want to hear something interesting, something I thought about, be like, what if people, and this is something that we really have to be grateful for. It really ties in beautifully. It's not random. It's not off topic because it's really on topic. Before glasses came out, right? Before the invention of glasses, what did uh, what you know? What did people do? Like, what, you know, what did people have? In you know, the, they weren't able to see, right? So if they weren't they weren't able to see, they like did they think that's what everybody else saw? Uh, like, it's something crazy um, to think about because, like, we have the ability that even if we have weak vision we're able to see and if you're dealing with you know things like before the glasses were invented so before the 13th century if somebody had weak eyes there was no glasses there was no like you couldn't you know through a curved lens it wasn't like something it, it wasn't invented yet you just couldn't see and if you think about it like it's like a blind person you can't explain the color red you can't but like Somebody who couldn't see, imagine they were, since they were very young, they couldn't see, and everything for them is blurry, like, they can't even begin to comprehend, wait a minute, you could see 20 feet ahead of you? Like, you know, like, even if we have glasses now, or contacts, or whatever it is, now we even have LASIK, you even have even another thing, you can even remove all that, but we don't even begin to appreciate it, like, like I can appreciate it, if I take off, I have a very high prescription, and if I take it off my glasses, I don't see, I, I barely see, I mean, again, you know, I, I see I have things, but I'm saying I clearly I can't read. I can't you know see you see I can't recognize people. So when I put on my glasses, I can appreciate it. I'd be like you know, even though it's annoying to have glasses and all these yeah, I, it's it's annoying. But you're talking about a few hundred years ago, if people didn't see, they were done. Like yeah, you have glasses, maybe you have itchy eyes, maybe you have dry eyes, maybe you have pain eyes, but you're able to see. At the end of the day, you could see, which is beautiful. It's so amazing. Now, why is it that so many people have it? I, I don't know. Is it a ticket for something? I, I, I can't say yes. I can't say not. Um, but uh, it be, it's become very, very normal and very natural. It could be in the olden days, you know, it wasn't so common. Uh, people didn't have this issue. Um, but I, I don't know why it would be. It's more, it's more common now. Anyways, that was the final question. Thank you all for joining. Um, I do have one question for you, if you mind. Yes, sure. Uh, I was just wondering, since we are girls, um, and for men, I know that it's better to learn straight from, like, let's say, Gemara or Torah. So I was wondering, for girls, if they have free time, is it better to learn from a shir, or is it better to learn from, like, Tanakh? Okay, so you said Tanakh specifically, or you meant the Sefer? Because it's a different answer. I'm saying, we're not going to learn Gemara, obviously, but, like, let's say, Chamesh, Nabi, that kind of thing. Well, it's it's very important. So, so women don't have the chiyav to learn like men, but women do need to learn things that are you know important or required for them. Hilchos Shabbos, Hilchos Nita, um, you know, uh, you know, Basar like different things like that. They do need to learn. You're not going to get that from Tanakh. You'll get it from a safer or even an English translation or you know some sort of you know something like that. That is something that it is um, good to uh, to learn. The, if you would ask me what if you have an option of learning through a shir or learning through a a you know tanakh, I first of all it depends on who's 
who's giving you the shear. Uh, but if it's a, a normal competent, you know, shear, I would say probably better. Again, this is my own statement. I don't know, you know, maybe other people will, other rabbinim will argue with me, but I would say a shear. And that is because you, when you sit and you learn story and Tanakh, that's amazing, but you're only getting, you know, a certain amount. You're sitting, I get uh, let me explain like this. So you have someone that's giving a shear. Every person prepares a different amount. I prepare a lot for my shirim. You know, like like let's say you have somebody that's prepares five, six, seven, eight, ten hours per shear. So when you learn, you listen to a shear, you're listening to ten hours of preparation. You're sitting and learning, you know, uh, you know something in nach, and so you're learning for an hour. You get through a few psukim, or depending how fast you are, you get through a few prakim. You're able to get only you know an hour's worth of learning. So. It depends. It depends on, on, on what the shear is. I think Ashkafa is extremely important for a woman. I think Imuna is extremely important for a woman. I think Allah is extremely important for a woman. And generally, you'll probably, probably, again, gain more from a shear than learning inside. Nonetheless, a, a woman should be learning inside the halachas that she needs to learn. Um, maybe Ashkafa, you know, things uh, is, is also important. So I wouldn't say one overrides the other, but I think there is more to gain if it would be a blanket question, I think there's more to gain from a shear than from a safer. But with a caveat to that is that everybody learns differently. So some people can gain more from learning inside and some people just can't read inside. They're able to listen and they're more visual people or whatever it is. They can't sit. They don't have the, you know, the ADD is kicking in. So then shear, you know, the, the you know, something that they listen to would be easier. So to each, you know, their own, but I think as a blanket thing, there is a big benefit in listening or learning from, from somebody, from a Rav uh, that's giving a share. Thank you. Sure. Okay, we had one more question that came in. Oh, no, two more questions that came in. So, a person isn't meant to dial in for something specific in case it isn't good for you. But if you did and it came true, is it possible that it's not good for you? Technically, yeah, um, but that doesn't mean that you should just give up on that. You can still dive in that it should turn to good or whatever it is. So a person should never dive in that they should marry a particular person. But if they did dive in and they did marry a particular person, they should continue diving that it should be for the best. Um, for and, and that is a good thing to to dive in for. Uh, but but yes, you could definitely dive in for something and you'll get it and it could be not good for you. Are there any suggestions for someone who is has difficulty retaining knowledge. I'm specifically thinking of Torah, Halacha aspects. They learn and read it, but have trouble remembering it. So that is depending on the uh, person. Generally, I say it's usually Chazara and memorization. So when you read something one time, you're not gonna, you know, memorize it as as if you're, you know, working on memorizing it. Uh, so so I think it's very very important to if you if you want to comprehend something. Some people can hear it once and they and they understand it, they remember it without any issues. But most people they need to review it. So if they want to, if they have an issue of retaining knowledge, generally the first thing I would say is is to review and practice memorizing it. Of course, there's dabbing, There's a whole thing that the you know about schoolers for for memory and learning. Uh, but I would say those are the the top two, if I were to say. Okay, the last question that came up. I have two questions. Is it better to say to hello or learn Torah? Book as a merit for a four shlema for someone. For, okay, so for a four shlema, it's better to daven. Davening is better, and that's what's the proof of this is that you have yeshivas, for example, that they're or even gedolim that they have a sick, uh, um, you know, family member or a sick person that they're davening for. They don't go and continue learning and say it should be a four shlema. They stop and they daven. They say to Helen, 
for Refua Shlema. So that's, um, it's good to do uh, Refua Shlema. Uh, it's Davin, I'm sorry, for Refua Shlema. However, sometimes you want to do both, and it's definitely good to do both as well. Second part of that question. What is the idea behind a married woman covering her hair with a double cover? Is it a different reason for men having two layers for the for the kippah? Um, so a woman has to cover her hair. I'm trying to remember if there's something about double covering. I know Hasidim do that. Um, I don't think, um, I, I, you know, like nothing pops into my mind that there's a requirement for double. You have to cover your hair, you know, just a full covering. Okay, next question. Why would Hashem give... Oh, we got a few more questions came in and then we'll close off. Why would Hashem give you something not good for you? I heard that if you daven and don't get what you want, it's because it's not good for you, but you can also get something that's not good for you. Yes, that is the power of tefillah. The power of tefillah is that you're able to daven for something and it's so strong that it's really not meant for you and you can still get it. Because Baruch Hu told Moshe Rabbeinu that after it says Beishan and he davened 515 times. Like Baruch Hu said, don't daven one more because then I'm going to have to give it to you. And it wasn't meant for, for Moshe Rabbeinu to go into Antarctic uh, Israel. So Baruch Hu says, you have to stop davening. So yes, you can get something. The power of tefillah is so strong that you can even get something that's not decreed. You can even get something that's not good for you and it's not intended for you. That's the power of davening. Okay, next. When a person asks for help spiritually, then how is it possible for Hashem not to answer them for it's for sure good? It's true. Uh, you're, you're asking for, for help spiritually, and it's something that is definitely, definitely good. But you also have to think about why you came to that spiritual deficiency. So if you have a spiritual deficiency, there could either be something that you did wrong in this lifetime, you ever did something in a previous lifetime, if you want to bring in Gilgulim or incarnation, there is something that you did wrong that you have to fix. So you can dive in and it will definitely help you, but not always does it put you through the finish line. Not always do you get it because... You, you know, someone made a mistake, so they could dive in one davening doesn't mean that it's going to fix everything. We wish that it would, and we hope that it would, but sometimes we need numerous davenings. Now, if you keep on davening to grow spiritually, guaranteed you'll, you'll see some salvation. You'll also have to put in your own work, obviously. You can't say, okay, this rock will make me come closer to you. Let me know the entire Shas, entire Babli, Shalmi, you know, all the Halacha, the Rabbim, the Shachanach, the Torah. You want, I want to learn everything, but you don't open up a Sefer. You could daven for the day tomorrow, but the next day you need to learn a Sefer. You need, you need to open up. You need to do some sort of action. It would help you, the tefillah, and it will give you that push. But at the end of the day, you have to do your own aspect to it. But it definitely helps. Definitely, definitely helps. Where are we over here? Okay, how do you balance? Yeah, this is what I'm up to. Okay. How do you balance being thankful for what you have versus striving for more without being ungrateful? Uh, this is a good, this is a good, like, you know, uh, a good question because you really have to have this balance. You should always be grateful for what you have, but it, it doesn't, it, it's not a contradiction to go and say, oh, well, if I'm grateful, then how can I ask for more? Something that I do want to speak about when we speak about tefillah, but you, you, you have to realize that not only has given you everything, but also wants to give you everything. Like everything that you want, Akadish Baruch wants to give. Obviously for the best. But Akadish Baruch wants to give you. So by you being grateful, you're, you're saying, thank you, Akadish Baruch for what you're giving me. Now I want to ask for more, not saying that I deserve it. And this is where the key point is. This is where, where people get confused. People think that if I'm asking Akadish Baruch for something, it's because I deserve it. I, you know, I'm a good person. My mother promised me the world. I am the best person ever. You know, I should be giving brachas. I'm the gadol. I'm the Mashiach. I, you know, everybody to their own, you know, ego, thinking that they, when you daven Akadish Baruch, you don't deserve it. 
It's not like when you think something, okay, why are you ungrateful for something? Because you give me something that I maybe don't deserve or maybe that I didn't ask for or maybe that's something that's beneficial for me. So something that you feel like you're lacking and somebody else helps you, so you're grateful for. If you feel like you deserve something, you tend to forget to say thankful. So let's say you have a business and you have, you know, you have employees working for you. You, at the end of, when you give them the paycheck, do you say thank you for your work? I don't know, depending on the employer, depending on, you know, the, the boss. I would say most people probably don't. Why? Because wait a minute, like I'm paying you to do this. Like you, you need to do this for me because I'm giving you the money for it. But if you think about it, and if you look at your relationship with like, the not that you need to give me anything. When I'm davening for something, I'm not davening because I deserve it. I'm davening and I'm asking you, Akadish Baruch because for a matnaskin, I'm a free gift. I don't deserve what I'm asking for. I'm asking to give it as a free gift. So it's not a contradiction. Because it's not something that I say, oh, I'm so thankful for what you're giving me. And now please give me X, Y, and Z. I'm so, really what it is, I'm so grateful what you've given me. And I don't deserve anymore, but please... As a, as a free gift, please give me X, Y, and Z. So it's a little bit of a different mindset, and therefore it's not a, a, you know, a contradiction. And therefore, you could and you should ask like this problem for everything, and it doesn't contradict being ungrateful. Okay, I'm laying on the beautiful brachas. We have here two more questions. But if it's not decreed and intended, how can a person get it? I, this is going back to the tefillah. A person can change their destiny. Even if something is not intended, a person is able to change it through tefillah, through tshuva, through tzedakah. You're able to you're able to change your decree. Even if you have a uh, destiny in life that's meant for bad, you can change it to good. If it's meant for good, you're able to change it for bad. We have free will, and that is the power that we have, especially in the power of tefillah. Next question: Are you planning on having an in-person class anytime soon? Maybe. Um, if if there is a if if there is a need, uh, no, I shouldn't say the need. If there's a large, if, if there's a large enough want, then I'll, I'll come in from it. The past few times that we came in and did it, it was a very, it wasn't, um, you know, it didn't seem, people seem to be more interested in the, in the virtual classes. But if there's something that uh, people are interested in, then yeah, we, we, we can definitely do it more, uh, more often. That was my intention, my original goal, but it seemed to be uh, not uh, um, what everybody needed. And it's easier, easier for me <laughs> also to give a share from my house instead of, uh, um, you know, going in. All right. Thank you all for joining. Have an amazing, amazing week. Brachas ad bli dai. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.